Welcome back home. Another week. We're ready to go through the Word. This morning, we're continuing our journey through Malachi, which is a little bit deceiving because we're really not even going to look at Malachi today. But, you know, the basis is there. We've been discovering really what's important in our lives as we return through the message of Malachi. Uh, it is important that we treat God as God. It is important that uh, we obey the commands of God. It is important that we keep our relationships in, in terms of making sure they're just and right in marriage and human relationships. Really, he says, do justice. And then last Sunday, we saw that, that, that text where we are, we are learning that the pursuit of justice isn't optional for the follower of, of God. If you are a follower of God, then implications to life of what Malachi had to say. And so, as is our habit, we will do that this morning. We will pause and, and see what the implications are of a people who love God who will pursue justice. Now, nothing I say this morning is original with me. Well, a little bit, but not much. The books are available for you if you want more detail. Um, I've, this one, they're out on the patio. You can see them. You'll see these pictures. This guy's really good. If you don't like what I say today, don't buy his book. <laughs> Just say it. But I do think, I have been thinking about this topic and knew it would come up for a long time. And so I've been stewing and stewing and stewing, and it all changed this week, of course. Because I think this is a watershed issue, the issue of justice, which has the ability to divide the church. It's already dividing the evangelical world. And we could be led down a path that's dangerous if we don't take the time to think through what our view of God and the truth of the Scripture, how it puts light on this subject of, of justice. Because if the trends continue, I think the evangelical church could be overcome with a profoundly destructive ideology. And that path will do irreparable harm to our mission, to our witness in the world. But from a biblical worldview perspective, this, this can be revolutionary for us as well. For example, we have all seen the phrase, you know the phrase, three words have kind of changed the landscape. Black lives matter. It's true, but from a biblical perspective, we can plumb much deeper than that. Black lives don't merely matter. Every black life was fearfully and wonderfully made by God. Every black life bears the image of God. Black lives are worth enough for the Creator to take on flesh and endure torture and execution and infinite wrath. But do our words and our actions match that theology? Have believers always lived if this, as if those biblical insights are true? No, they haven't. So we have to do better to speak and live out the boundless truth of the value of black lives, or Asian or whatever, Swiss, whatever. But we must confront injustice. 
However, we cannot confront injustice and compromise the truth as we do it. Is it possible to confront injustice and do so from a thoroughly biblical worldview? Yes. And if you, that's all I'm trying to say this morning. You could get up and leave and you'd know what I'm trying to say. It is possible to do that and it is necessary to do that. So let's begin with some definitions. You have your sermon notes. If you don't, you can use your phone and text your neighbor and maybe they'll share with you or you can get them there or they're on the tables in the back. What is social justice? These days we don't talk about justice without talking about social justice. That's what everyone means. So what do we mean when we use that phrase? Well, there are a lot of different groups that claim to be champions of social justice. The term social justice can be used to describe what ancient believers did outside these large Roman cities as they rescued infants that they had just thrown onto the trash pile and raised them as their own. It can, be, it can be used to describe what William Wilberforce did to overturn slavery in the UK, along with Frederick Douglass, um, Harriet Tubman, and others here in the US. You can use social justice to describe Dietrich Bonhoeffer and what he did to stand up to Hitler's regime and the, and the confessing church to undermine the Third Reich. In our day, we use it when Christians work to abolish human trafficking or come alongside the inner city poor or invest in microloans to, to help relieve poverty in the third world. Thaddeus Williams, in his book that I held up, calls this broad stroke of biblically-based social justice, social justice A. Scott Allen, in his book, the other book I held up, calls it biblical justice. But in the last few years, justice has taken on an extremely charged political meaning. It's become a banner over a movement like Antifa, which sees physical violence very differently than we do. They say, quote, both ethic, it is both ethically justifiable and strategically effective, violence. The social justice banner is also waved over professors in universities who, who hammer down on this oppressor versus oppressed narrative. Social justice is used as a banner which has the stated objective to disrupt the nuclear family, which is the foundation of Western culture. It describes a movement that resorts to violence to, to oppose voices that it doesn't like. It describes those who want to defeat the little sisters of the poor or Christian universities who won't bow to their orthodoxy. This kind of social justice, Thaddeus Williams calls social justice B. This social justice disagrees with our view of biblical reality, what is real and true. When both Antifa on the left and the American Nazi party on the right claim they are social justice warriors, neither one of those are social justice that we could support. So we have social justice A on one side, social justice B on the other, and our problem is what? Where do you draw the line? How do you decide who we can lock arms with and march and support? Where does a vision of justice cross the line and lure us away from the faith once delivered to the saints? See, the problem we face is not with our desire for social justice or even justice. 
The danger happens when that journey is taken from a framework that is not compatible with the Bible. And this morning, I want to challenge some of our assumptions about justice and make sure we consider a proper biblical framework for that, for that quest. Have you noticed, and you probably have, that everything these days is a matter of justice? Except the main thing that should be a matter of justice. There is economic injustice, there is reproductive injustice, there is racial injustice, but nobody talks about the foundation of all injustice, worship. Theistic injustice, bowing to someone or something that's not worth bowing to, is not a justice issue in our world, but it is the justice issue from which all other justice blooms or injustice blooms. See, if justice is giving whatever someone is due to them, then you better fine-tune your detective skills so that we can really detect injustice. Shall we do some detecting of injustice? Injustice, I'm saying right up front, is ugly. If you have little kids in here, they might not want to hear this. You've been warned. Get ready. The year was 1519. What's going on in 1519? Well, in Europe, Martin Luther's, you know, beginning the Protestant Reformation. But in November of that year, a Spanish conquistador named Herman Cortez arrived in what is now Mexico City. It was called Tenochtitlan back then. Close enough? It was the capital of the Aztec Empire. It was one of the five most populous cities on the planet in its day. And towering above that city stood like a pyramid-type structure with two towers on it. This pyramid base with two towers stood Templo Mayor, a temple. One each of, of those, whatever they are on the top, one of each of them for, for one of their gods, that they, their, their main gods. One was for the sun and the other was for water. And at the shrine for the sun, tens of thousands had their hearts cut out from them and their bodies thrown down to the cannibals below. And they would set their heart on fire as an offering to their God. The heads were removed. They say there were as many as 60,000 skulls on their racks, on their display. On the water shrine, archaeologists have found that children's remains are there. And there's evidence that they were brutalized before they were murdered. Why? Because the tears of children were believed to have sacred power to please the water god. See, injustice isn't pretty. I warned you. But when Cortez arrived with his conquistadors, they brought with them what? More injustice. Within two bloody years, they had seized full control of the Aztec capital. They took anything they wanted, and made it their own. And what happened when they arrived? Rape, theft, oppression, exploitation, fraud, and murder, which is exactly what happens when a fallen human being decides to play God and be sovereign over everybody else. And this story, it raises two questions about social justice and worship. Number one, does our vision of social justice take into account the Godhead of God? Do we really take God seriously 
I mean, how do you explain what happened in Tenochtitlan in 1519? Well, here's one explanation. Both the Aztecs and the conquistadors did what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and maliciousness. That explanation was written 1,500 years and 7,000 miles away from Mexico City in that day. It was written by the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Romans in the late 50s A.D. He wasn't trying to describe Tenochtitlan, but he did. And he described American slavery in the 19th century. He described, he described Joseph Stalin's um, Soviet Union. He described Adolf Hitler's Germany and Mao Zedong's China and Pol Pot's Cambodia, the death cult of Jonestown, the genocidal horrors of Darfur, and Rwanda, and much, much more. You see, Paul described the human condition and our tendency just to hate each other. But what, is God, what does Paul teach us to do? How do you react to that? You see, Paul refuses to interpret any inch of reality apart from God. To cut God off from our understanding is really to block out the sun and to run around in the dark. We have to see everything in its truest light, and we only do that when we view it in light of God, which includes the way we see our horrible track record as human beings on injustice. Romans 1.20, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. God is God, and we are not. We are not the creator. We are the creatures. But we don't want to live like the creature. So it blurs our view of the whole world. But Paul doesn't stop. Verse 21, Romans 1. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave him thanks, nor gave thanks to him. But thinking, but their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. You either bow to the Creator or eventually you will bow to his creation, the cosmos. And if God is not allowed to be God, then we give a creation a value it doesn't deserve. So we fail to give both the creator and the creation what they're due. And then Paul says in verse 23, they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. That's what happened at Tenochtitlan. The Aztec rulers brutalized and murdered the vulnerable. The conquistadors, they coveted their neighbor's gold. And they lied to the neighbor, natives, and they raped their wives and their daughters, and they took them for slaves, and they broke a whole list of commandments. And in breaking those commandments, which did they break first? The first commandment. They had God's small g. 
before God, big G. They worshiped the creation, not the creator. The Aztecs, well, they bowed to the gods of sun and rain. The conquistadors, they bowed to the gods of what? Gold and power. That run from creator to creation worship is the first injustice of the Aztecs and the conquistadors. And when they broke that command, it became a toxic spring from which flowed all the rest of the injustice. They were not the first ones to go down this path. (laughs) Have you read the Old Testament? Slavery and murder and rape and child abuse and theft, it happens when people worship idols instead of God. And that is so profound that that, that Paul's, to, to understand Paul's take on justice in Romans 1 Because he doesn't merely observe that humanity is is full of all manner of unrighteousness, evil, and covetousness, and then blame that on what? Society? So let's dream up some political system to create utopia. Paul doesn't do that. That's what Karl Marx does and Frederick Engels. Paul doesn't look at the bad fruit on the human tree and and suggest, oh, let's just plant it in a different soil. Find a pot without weeds on it. It'll be okay. Paul knew that the human tree is so hopelessly sick that whatever soil you plant it in, it's going to produce toxic fruit. And no amount of political revolution or social engineering or policy tweaking is going to stop envy, strife, Deceit and maliciousness, because they sprout from our heart. Why are all attempts at utopia doomed to fail? Because we have exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles and the sun and the water and gold and sex and power. Now, think about white supremacy. The belief that white-skinned humans are superior to other humans has led many non-white people to not receive what they are due. So we have to work hard to make sure that white supremacy is a relic of the past. But the injustice of white supremacy, it has a transcendent dimension. Something almost nobody talks about, and and it keeps us swatting at the bad fruit rather than chopping at the horrible root, which is racism. Many in our world are making race, not God, supreme. And when you do so, it means you worship and serve something created rather than the Creator. You see, racism, therefore, isn't merely horizontally unjust. Let's let's look at this biblically. See, it's not just depriving other creatures of what they're due. It's also vertically unjust. We are failing to give the Creator His due when we make race the ultimate object of our devotion. And we fail to see then how evil racism really is. Because if we answer the question, why is racism evil, without taking God into account, we cannot understand the diabolical depth of racism in our heart And we're going to end up doing what? We're going to box at the ghost of the problem and not deal with the problem, which is in our heart. 
That's how Paul adds some texture to the picture of injustice. Because if you look long enough and deep enough under everything, it's not just horizontal human-to-human relationship. It's always injustice against God. And you will find a refusal to give the Creator the worship that is due only the Creator. All injustice is a violation of the first commandment. So track with me here. If I am saying that injustices, that the the injustices that people are doing are really failures to give God His due, then why are so many injustices coming from the very people who worship the God of the Bible? That's the beauty of what Paul is saying. I mean, these, the conquistadors, they're Roman Catholic. They would say they worshiped God, the right God. But the beauty of what Paul says in Romans 1 is that it calls our bluff. It reveals what we actually worship, no matter what we say that we worship. Yes, the conquistadors, they claimed to worship God, but by what they did, they proved they did not. Their envy, strife, deceit, and maliciousness exposed them for who they were, creation worshipers, not creator worshipers. And they groveled to the false gods of power and profit. You see, the first commandment is the first commandment for a reason. And if our vision of doing justice does not take seriously the Godhead of who God is, then are we doing social justice? Are we just, you know, just trying to make the world better? Second question I think that that illustration forces us to ask is this. Does our vision of social justice acknowledge the image of God in every person? Philosopher Charles Taylor said that a defining mark of our secular age is that we tend to operate, Christians included, as if the universe is a closed box. See, an illustration, Andrew, I've learned. (laughs) This is the universe. Everything that takes place takes place inside the box, inside the universe. That's what most people think. We assume that the best way to make sense of things that are happening inside the box is what? Study what's inside the box. Make sure we know what's inside the box. Charles Darwin and Richard Dawkins would have us make sense of everything in terms of biology inside the box. Stephen Hawking would reduce reality to physics. Sigmund Freud, ah, it's all about psychology. Karl Marx, it's all about economics. Hugh Hefner, you know what he thinks. (laughs) Steve Jobs and Elon Musk, it's all about the technology. Disney and TMZ, it's all about entertainment. In our modern world, if we bring God into the picture as an explanation for reality, they consider us insane. But we believe there is someone good. 
We believe there is someone outside the box because that someone made the box. Have you ever considered what if we're wrong? What if we're wrong? If we're really just bodies in a box, what happens to equality? Because this body, it ain't equal to Usain Bolt's body. This body ain't Michael Phelps. Our bodies are not equal. I'm not Michael Jordan. I cannot dunk from the free throw line, no matter how much I try. Because if we're wrong, where is equality? Because we're not all equal. But if there's someone good, someone beyond the box, someone who made the box, whose image we bear, regardless of what we look like, or our economic status, or our politics, or anything, then things like equality and dignity and value, for us, they become, they become something much more than slogans. If we only live within the box, we will not find long-term justice or progress, which is why 99% of Martin, Luther's King, Martin Luther King's you know, letter from a Birmingham jail appeals to equality, dignity, and values, but he starts beyond the box, not within the box. But here's our modern dilemma. If we begin to search for justice with the question, what is God do? We've committed heresy in the 21st century because we're starting outside the box. But as followers of Jesus Christ, we have to start outside the box. We must. By starting with God, we start where Augustine began when he summarized all of the Christian life with this phrase, love God and do what you want. If I treasure God as God, that's going to impact everything else that I do. I won't want to lie to you because you've been made in the image of the same God I love. I won't want to steal your stuff or your spouse because you carry that unique image of the God I love most. I won't want to exploit you as a means to my own selfish ends since you are made in the image of God. Love God, the ultimate other, and you will give those who bear the beloved's image the respect that they're due. Idolatry is the first injustice and the cancer of every other injustice. If the Aztecs loved the actual God more than they loved sun and water, they would not have treated people like chopped meat. Had the conquistadors lived, loved the actual God more than, lo more than they loved gold and power, they would not have treated the Aztecs like rats to be exterminated or sex toys to be exploited, or property to be owned. You see, neither the victims of the Aztecs nor the victims of the conquistadors received what was due them because somebody else's desires were out of whack. 
And the victims were not loved as image bearers of God that they were because neither the person who oppressed them loved God and, and, and saw the image that they bore. Genesis 1, God said, let, make, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Psalm 139, you are the one who put me together inside my mother's body, and I praise you because of the wonderful way you created me. Everything you do is marvelous. Of this I have no doubt. Nothing about me is hidden from you. I was secretly woven together deep in the earth below, but with your eyes you saw my body being formed. Even before I was born, you had written in your book everything I would do. We're made in the image of God. And if there is no God, and all of this just happened naturally, then we're just bodies, and that's it. And if that is true, how can we talk about justice? Charles Darwin actually argued against human equality. He said, <laughs> let's observe the facts. Our bodies are not equal. Some of you win the genetic lottery. Others, not so much. Some get certain cancers in their family lines and others do not. But these days, we don't so much reduce people to their physical. We reduce them to their ideology. We don't see human beings as much as we see social justice snowflakes on the left and neo-Nazi fascists on the right. Or we can treat people on the basis of their skin color or their gender or who they want to sleep with. Which is why giving God his due is so important in the area of justice. Because we're born into the box and every day we live, we're bouncing around with other people inside the box. And what are we trying to do? Just make the pain go away and just, just try to be, you know, bump around with as least pain as we can. How do we make life better inside the box? That's our goal. And so the easiest way is often to do what? Do injustice to somebody else because it makes my life better. It removes my pain. And so what have we done? We've made yellow stars to put on Jews. We have tattooed numbers on their skin so we can make sure we keep track of them. We've put lynching nooses around the necks of black image bearers. We've put one-eyed happy faces on houses in Iraq so that they can be destroyed because they're, they're followers of Jesus. When we reduce people to inside-the-box categories, we become oblivious to the, to the beyond-the-box reality that every person is made in the image of God. And justice requires that they be treated as such, regardless of their shape, their size, their sex, or their status. But that's so much easier said than done. We need supernatural help. We need the Holy Spirit's power to gift us with new sight and new vision. We need to look at people as the God of the universe sees them. As we seek a more just world, we cannot put people into our own self-made categories first. 
And if we see those who disagree with us, they're either Republicans or they're Democrats. They're either progressives or they're conservatives. They're either radical leftists or radical right-wing fundamentalists. Before we say first, they are image bearers of the image of God. If we don't start with the fact that they are image bearers of God, then we're not on the road to justice, not social justice A anyway. And if we simply put people in categories, we're on history's wide and bloody road to dehumanization. Shall we get quite practical? I want you to think of specifically of some people with whom you disagree with ideologically most. Who's the top three of your list? Might be a politician, might be a family member, might be a coworker, a neighbor, might be a pastor. Picture someone you see as the living, breathing antithesis of everything you believe to be true and just. And picture that person with their pride and with their power. And now think this, image bearer. Say it with me, image bearer. Say it again, image bearer. And then treat that person as an image bearer because that is who they were long before you found yourself on the opposite side of this culture war with them. For some of you, you picture Donald Trump and there's no way you can think that he is an image bearer of Jesus Christ. There are others of you who think of Nancy Pelosi and there's no way she can bear the image of God. I'm not wrong. But they do. You want to pursue justice? That's what it's going to take. If you find it too hard to treat that person as an image bearer for more than five minutes, you need to pray. Because this is a spiritual battle. You need to give God what is due to God. You need to pray for yourself what Paul prayed for the Thessalonian believers. If you thought the early church was one unified whatever, are you kidding me? There were Jews and Greeks and, and Romans, those Romans who destroyed Jerusalem. But pray for yourself what Paul prayed in 1 Thessalonians 3.12. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else just as ours does for you. You see, your value is, rooted in, is not rooted in creation. Your value is rooted in the Creator. It's not rooted in the circumstances surrounding when and where you were born, but in the infinite love from Him who is love. And if you're swept up in identity politics on the right or the left, just saying Jesus loves you, it's probably not going to solve this thing for you. Because there are a lot of believers who are probably on the exact same opposite, in the exact opposite frame of reference as you. And I get it, and it's hurtful, and it's hard. But do not fall into the trap of defining your life mission by how other people see you. Define your life and your choices you're going to make on the basis of God, who knew you in the womb and loved you from the gates of heaven. He hasn't forgotten who you are. He can't forget you.
He knows and he loves you enough to literally die for you. And how can we as believers look forward to the day when every tongue and tribe and nation will bow before the presence of God and still think we are a little more worthy because of our skin tone or our merit, what I have done. Revolt against your own sin nature. Revolt against hate. Let God graciously turn your heart of stone into a heart of flesh. What's the call of God into our lives this week? If you wrestle with all of this, maybe you should think about whether you really believe the promise that God will give to you eternal life. Have you come to the Savior and said, forgive me? And I believe that I'm only right with you, God, because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, and today I believe And maybe if you look down on any group that's defined by an in-the-box category, whether it's race or politics or mental or, or physical disabilities or economic status or religion, who do you look down on? What can you do this week to show love for anyone in one of those groups? Image bearers. Let's pray. Father, we want to build our life on a foundation that is rooted clearly in biblical truth. That we put our trust in you and you alone because then we will not be shaken no matter what comes our way. So open up our eyes. Let us examine our hearts this week. Let us watch the news thinking image bearer, image bearer, that we might not fall short of the first commandment, that we truly will be a people who put you first. In Jesus' name, amen.